Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everyone in between. <laughs> Welcome all humans. Well, or animals. Oh, yeah. I guess our cat's over there. Or plants. He's listening. Or minerals. Did you know a glacier is actually technically... Living? It... Oh. <laughs> It's a mineral. New science in <laughs> glaciers are now living. No, it's like it's actually a. I don't. It's not an element, but it's it's like a form of rock. You know how there's like shale, but it's not just ice. You'd think it'd just be ice or snow. Yeah. Anyways, it's more complicated. We digress. Welcome to episode forty. You're listening to the Fight for Together podcast. Um. No one sent us money for our chairs, um, but that's okay because I am cracking open a Mick Ultra. Now we're going to drink our sorrows away. No, I was trying this into an advertisement. Oh, okay. USD Organic Ultra Pure Gold Organic Light Lager, bringing out the keto low carb. Listen to that. That's, that's what Fight for Tether could be. Without your help. Mine has to be the opposite of keto, low carb. Mine's Mike's Hard Black Cherry Lemonade. This is like a, a crappy beer, but it's organic. So it's like, it cancels out. <laughs> you feel better. But... Actually, I'm joking, but I'm not joking. We did not get any money in from People for Chairs. But the good news is we turned sponsorships on. And the dough is rolling in. Some of you guys, if you listen to our podcast on any of the podcasting things, not on YouTube, you'll see that I think there was an ad on it this last week. And you want me to tell you how much we made? Cammie, guess. I knew you were going to ask me to guess. Um, oh, gosh. I have no oh idea. Oh, my gosh. It's huge. It, it doubled. I'm not kidding. It doubled since okay. I looked at it last. So, wait. This is for a month? This is for uh, a week. I think it's just been the last week. Okay, last week. But but I think I accidentally turned it on on all of our episodes, which I didn't even know we could do. Um, I'm gonna say hundred dollars. Go lower. I was gonna say fifty. Dang it. Okay, fifty then. Go lower. This is getting depressing. Um, twenty dollars. Okay, go like tiny a, bit higher. About half than that. Twenty. Hat lower? <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's 10. You have it higher than that. 12. Lower. 1150. 1153. Oh, my gosh. Cheers. You know, everyone's got to start somewhere. <laughs> hey, that's just from one week, though. Mm -hmm. And that basically covers our drinks. It basically covers our cigars. This is not to be confused with the chair fund, by the way. Right. That's different. So 1153, just from last week. Wow. That's fascinating. <laughs> so that's um, close to $50 a month. Oh, yeah. Huh. That's, that's a lot of money. Okay. Um, we have an exciting episode this week that I want to get into. But before we do that, um, I want to look at comments from last week. But this comment in particular is on episode 32. So someone is a little bit behind. Oh, do we need light cigars first? Um, maybe you light your cigar while I read this comment. Okay. And then you can, and then we'll trade off, you know, All right. do that little thing. Yep. Um, okay. So on episode 32, which was titled is porn wrong romance novels for teens, I believe, which is an oldie, but a goodie. Um, Laura leaves the comment. Have you considered how porn is nothing more? than a high-powered dopamine producer leading to addiction. Human life is more than that. Um, so kind of the issue that I have with this comment is where she says, have you considered that how porn is nothing more? Because that kind of indicates that that's all it is. That's fully encompassed in that statement of being a high powered are you doing okay over there mm. do you need help 
Tammy's trying to light her cigar and it's not going very well for those of you in audio land. There you go. Um, so I don't feel comfortable saying that it's nothing more than that because the second that I or someone else can say, hey, porn is more than that to me, I feel like at that point you're kind of reducing their experience or observation or data and saying it actually doesn't exist because the, all it is is a dopamine producer. And I have no problem by saying that it is a dopamine producer and that there can be dangers to being addicted to dopamines. I'll give you that for sure. I do have a problem in saying that's the only thing that it is. Um, and, you know, I, I have personal experience and other experience that would cause me to indicate that it can be much more than that. And the line with where you draw and declare what porn is, is also very difficult. So then, you know, you take just a nude statue or something, or heck, it, it can even involve sex. Cause I don't, I don't even agree with the premise that sex is dirty, which I think sometimes some people that leave these types of comments believe. Um, but if we, you know, these same arguments were probably made of a lot of historical nudes where they say, oh, that's just, evil or that's just bad or that's just sexual um what do you think now that your cigar is lit yeah i would say that that would be my beef with this comment as well um because i think i try to i try to be careful when i have an opinion about something to like make it clear that this is my opinion and not this blanket statement for this should be your opinion as well. That's not always easy to do, but. Well, and just that stance, when you take a stance, which I've taken plenty of in my life, I think that that seems to be the final say in things like, oh, um, I'm trying to think of an example. Fashion is nothing but a waste of time. Um, you know, you might say that about fashion designer clothes or something. Shopping is wasteful. Or yeah, um, like it. I think it can be a bit prideful because it assumes that you have the vantage point that trumps other people's vantage point. So the second someone comes along and they say, hey, I feel really passionate about designing fashion. I've wanted to do it ever since I was two years old, and I think I'm pretty good at it. Then I have to kind of say, well, based upon my statement, you're wasting your time. Um, so when we say human life is more than that, I do agree that human life should be the rest of the comment says that should be more than a dopamine hit. Um, but I don't think that needs to come at the cost of canceling out dopamine at all. I don't know. So, and there's like all different kinds of porn. I mean, that's like, tell me more a broad. Okay. Um, there's porn that I've watched that is, uh, massage like very sensual massaging, and it's very like artistic actually. The way like the music's playing and the oil is going on the body, and I mean, Dang. what are you doing after this podcast? <laughs> and yeah, I just I I think that there's just it's a big world out there, and there's a lot of different forms of quote-unquote porn now that my uh dopamines are gone uh mostly from this Michelob ultra pure gold organic light lager only 85 calories and two and a half carbs two and a half carbs buy it at your local grocer 2.5 um, okay what we're what we need to get into right now because this is an action-packed episode is crap i forgot i have another announcement okay um, our last two episodes have gotten fairly um, low views, relatively speaking. I've noticed that. And they were both ones where we did like news recaps. And I don't know if I just gave them shitty titles or whether people don't really like the news caps, news recaps, or that we just sucked at the podcast. So could you leave your opinion in the comment if you listened to the last two, if you found them particularly lame or if you thought the titles just sucked or if you have another reason i'd love to hear that i'm speaking of we actually have to pause for our uh sponsorship thing 
to make money. If you're on YouTube, you didn't have to do that. But um, okay, so yeah, I want to know that because I I I couldn't figure out why it got fewer views. Um, today we are talking about um something that I think is really exciting, and that is uh therapy and. I listened to this podcast by one of my favorite guys, and his name is James Altiker. And he recorded this podcast. Dang it, I was supposed to keep this up here. Where'd it go? Um, podcast posting instructions. It's the James Altiker podcast, and this podcast was called. Um, what to do when you're ready for real change. And he interviews this lady named Lori Gottlieb, who is the author of the book, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. And I've read a few articles of hers. I have not read this book, although I will put the link to the book in the show notes, as well as the link to the podcast that we're going to be referencing and listening to quite a bit. But what I have heard from her and what I have read, I really enjoyed. Hmm. So we are going to get into it. Um, and what we're going to be doing is we're going to be listening to chunks from, uh, this James Altiker podcast of him interviewing her. And then we're going to be responding to that. And we got one, two, three, four, five, six of these clips that I think are all around a minute. Um, I think one or two of them might be two minutes long, but most of them are like um, 30 seconds to a minute. So I'm really hoping that you guys um, enjoy this episode because therapy has been something that's been very life-changing for us. All right, Cammie, I'm going to teach you how to do this because I don't like doing it all the time. So what you got to do is you got to hold down the A button until he's done talking. You can't take your finger off of it. Okay. Okay. I think I can do that. Hold it down. Um, and I'm not going to give any spoilers from the book, but like Charlotte in, in mm-hmm. the book was one of your patients and she's repeating this kind of, um, let's say toxic behavior over and over again, but you won't say to her, don't do that. You're going, it's going to end badly. You, you just won't say, it. and you're holding It's like you're sitting on your hands uh, and you're holding yourself back from saying it. The reason is that even if you tell people, you know, don't go in the basement, <laughs> it's dark down there. Um, they will resent you for it. They, people don't want to be told what to do. They think they do. You know, they'll beg you to tell them what to do. But really, people want to have agency over their own lives, and it doesn't help them to make decisions for them. It helps them to show them how they can make better decisions for themselves and then to learn to trust themselves to make better decisions. Good hmm. job, Cami. Yeah. So, yeah. So what she's basically saying is the job of a therapist – You'd you'd think, or at least I used to think, that therapy was all about going and getting the answers. So you're, like, messing up your life. You're dating losers. You're doing drugs. You're whatever. And you go into a therapist, and the therapist is like, don't date the losers. Stop doing drugs. But in our experience with therapy, this is not what we got at all. Mm -hmm. And it's not what she's saying makes for good therapy. You don't give people the answers. Because that would just make people dependent on the therapists instead of... Which I always thought therapists wanted to do anyways because they make more money, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I'm so glad our therapist isn't like that. Although I, I think there's probably therapists out there that It probably depends like on if you actually went into therapy to help people versus if you went in to just get, have a jo- job that pays money. Now, there's two angles that I want to talk about today. One is our experience with therapy. But the second is there's such a tight overlap between how this impacts our parenting. Yeah, that's definitely what I was thinking about. Everything that she said about people going to therapy, what did she say? People will resent you for it. They want to be their own agency. Even though they might beg you to tell them what to do, deep down, we all want to be our own agency be our own agents is that what she said 
Well, it's have our own agency. Have our own agency. So. Yeah. Now, I don't fully believe you. Because I think some people, myself included, in various parts of my life, actually didn't want agency. Like, well, I wanted someone else to take agency for me. I just wanted to be told what to do. That's what she said. She's like, people are begging for it. But deep down, yes. deep down, there maybe on an unconscious level, yeah. they actually will resent you for it because deep down they want autonomy is maybe another word for it. Well, this is what I've seen about um, when you give someone a decision for them. When you say, kid, stay in school. And then they stay in school, and then it doesn't work out. Guess who they're going to blame? You. Because they were doing what you said because you said it. it. It wasn't their choice, or at least it didn't feel like their choice. Yeah. So when things are going nice, it kind of works out okay in yeah. a way. <laughs> it makes everyone feel good. Yeah. Even though I don't think it really is, but it feels like it at least. And it feels good to have someone depend on you. Like, oh, you give me good advice. So this can be with peer relationships as well, which we have a lot of experience with telling other peers what to do. And they, quote unquote, wanted us to tell them what to do. But it like bit us in the ass in the end. Because the spiritual environment we were raised in, I think, really fostered this type of relationship dynamic where certain people, it was assumed, knew the answers and the best way to help the people that didn't was by giving them the answers and telling them what to do. Um, it was called mentorship. It was called discipleship. It was called advice. And this is a model that we followed for a long time in life. And it was probably our primary pa parenting model for most of our years. We assumed we kind of had the answer. And we've talked about in other podcasts about how we don't believe we have that certainty anymore about how you know, no two people are the same and how we can share our experience and our perspective and our angle on life. But how when we assume that that's what's best for everyone else or just people because they're smaller than us or whatever, I think that's also a pretty prideful thing. And it's hurt us when it's been done to us. Mm -hmm. um, so I yeah. love I love this idea like with kids, like what if instead of telling kids what to do, we're supposed to empower them to make decisions that they're happy with at the end of their life? I'll say this too, as a son and a son-in-law, um, if our parents did that, I would be very happy. If they spent their energy and i'm not saying they didn't but if they spent their energy making sure that we felt good about the decisions we were making instead of making decisions to try and make them happy i think that would have made me a happy child and for our children if we tell them what to do i think we're automatically putting a fork in the road and saying if you do it great we'll have a good relationship which i don't even think that's a good relationship but it might feel that way but if you don't, in the back of your mind, and everyone's mind, we all know things are not going to be that great. And that's not even a real relationship. That's like slavery, basically, right? Yeah, and I think the relationship is doomed to have a lot of strife with that type of dynamic. Because either they'll do what you say, but then, like she says, resent you for it. Or they don't do what you say, and then there's kind of a breach in the relationship because I didn't do what you say, and now I don't really want to be around you because I know that you're just going to hold this over my head now. All right. You did so good on the last one. Are you okay. ready to push the next one? Do you know how to find it? Yep. You got it. I was with a therapist, and I was presenting a situation where I thought I was right, mm -hmm. and my girlfriend at the time was wrong. And, and I would ask her directly, you know, do you think I should end this? Like, I, I feel like I should end this. And she just wouldn't say, like, I couldn't get her to say, do you think this is going to work? Or do you think, I, and then I would say, well, what should I say back? And even that was hard. She would kind of give some prescriptive answers about what I should stay, say back. 
But her goal, I think, was for me to gather data and then figure out what to do with that data. She would even right. use that word data. Right, and, and she wanted, she didn't want to have to give her permission to you to do something that you wanted to do. So you kept asking her, you know, should I do this? And then you felt like you would be off the hook almost because I asked my therapist and my therapist said to do this. So therefore it was the right decision. For most of the decisions that we make, there aren't concrete right or wrong decisions. They're just different. And so I think sometimes we expect that the therapist knows exactly what we should do. And partly we know what we would do in that situation, but we don't know what you should do in that situation. But this is brings to mind when we first entered therapy with our therapist, we still had that mindset because we were coming from the church coming from the system, oh, hi hierarchical system where you just do what you're told. And we were doing what we were told by the church system. And then we w switched to the therapist. And so for a while, we were kind of trying to do both. <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden, we, we actually more believed in what the therapist was telling us. But I think for a little while, I felt like that was safe for me to say, but our therapist told us to do this. So... And I thought, you know, these other people would be like, oh, yeah, okay. But because it wasn't them, they were like, oh, no, no. Anyways, but after a while, I think because our therapist understood what I think this lady understands, I started to realize that these were my own beliefs. These weren't just my therapist's beliefs. And I think that's actually a mark of a really good therapist to, to be able to transfer that and not make them not make you dependent on the therapist and just think oh i believe this because my therapist told me to it's scary to own things it's so much easier to say so and so said especially if they have a mark of authority whatever that means right you know it could be academic or in a lot of the church cases it was just that they were appointed that way by other people right but when I say that so-and-so said, it's a way of me not having to own it. And I don't know. I think there's a couple different angles we could take this. One is um, with our kids, if we're parenting, I've seen that it can be a win in the short run to get them to do something we want. Let's say that they're eating candy and it's bad for their teeth. And we say... If you eat that candy, I'm going to spank your face off and ground you to, so you can't have any more candy. So we basically scare them or whatever. And then, of course, they don't eat candy, right? But then, so there's a lesson we taught them. Lesson one is sugar is bad for you. Candy is bad. But there's a deeper lesson that I now believe in as a parent, which conflicts with that lesson. And that was a very extreme example on purpose. It was fake. Um, but it's very exaggerated, something that's very normal, I think. We all have opinions of what's good and bad for our kids and what they should stay away from or not. And we have an ability to kind of like enforce it and to have it like be our decision and not theirs. But the second thing we teach them when we enforce any value like that upon them is that you shouldn't have that much confidence in your own opinion. Like, in other words, you can't make the decision, little Bobby or Susie. We have to make it for you. Therefore, basically what we're saying is don't trust yourself. And I think what you're saying, Cammie, like when we got into this church stuff and a lot of the, our kind of like ass getting kicked, when we, by the time we got to therapy, we had such a low value of our own opinion and instinct and voice that, I mean, we had, we had done ridiculous things to the tune of six figures financially, financial losses, mm -hmm. um, just getting our ass kicked. Well, we were trained to look everywhere but, Perpetually in, but inside. Because we didn't look trust the others. voices in our head. Yeah. And one of the things our therapist kind of just trained us to do was to say, hey, um, instead of him knowing the answer, he would say, what do you think? And mm -hmm. we would say, well, we feel this way, but that's got to be wrong, right? Because these people say it's wrong. And he was like, I don't know for sure if it's wrong. Maybe you should listen to it. Mm -hmm. And that was like such a game changer yeah um 
but I don't think it would have happened. I mean, in a way, I feel like as a parent, I'm impatient and I want to see shit done now. Like I'm like seeing me candy and I'm like seeing their teeth decay like before my very eyes. I'm like, something <laughs> needs to be done <laughs> right this instant. I don't have the patience to, you know, have this deep change happen. So I enforce it. But but when every time you do that, you push this deeper change off and I think make it more and more difficult. And I think, you know, it took lots of sessions and lots of dollars to have these changes happen with our therapist. But I'm so glad that he had the patience to not give us the answers because while it might have been nice to have some more like applicable directives early on, that we needed far deeper help than I think mm-hmm. what we went in for. I think he had the patience, but I also think he had respect for us as humans. And he understood how humans actually work and what's best for them. Uh, he wasn't just trying to get like a result. Yeah. In the book, that, the, that your goal as a therapist or the goal of a therapist is to sort of get the patient to be curious about themselves. And I think that's different than self-help where it's like, you know, chapter one, make your bed, or chapter two, uh, you know, wake up at the same time every day, and there's all this prescriptive stuff. Right, well, most people know what they should do. The question is, why don't they do it? Yeah, and so why don't they do it? Well, that, that's, what, that's what you have to see. Everybody has their own reasons why they don't do it. The, the general reason they don't do it is because whatever they're doing protects them. So whatever they're doing is their way of coping with something. It feels more safe to them, even if they're miserable in the safety. That's why change is hard, because people want to stay in the familiar place, because at least they know it, even if it's an unpleasant place, um, rather than go off into the uncertainty, which makes them very anxious. Man, that's crazy to, even if you're miserable, or safety trumps misery. Well, that's that's an interesting. There's different brands of misery too. Feeling unsafe is miserable, and change can be miserable. Well, at least while you're going through it, change is almost always miserable. I think. Yeah. So, to me, what she was saying, one of the things I heard was, you know, with kids and other people, it's so easy to say. Like, you see a kid. I mean. We were having dinner tonight, and our son was telling stories about how he was getting pulled on a BMX bike tied to a motorbike in another part of town by his buddy. And I wanted to be like, You idiot. You're such an idiot. How'd you know what I was going to say? Because you say it. But I was just like, That is the dumbest thing ever. And I want to say, like, What were you thinking? But when I say, What were you thinking? I'm not actually asking, What were you thinking? I mean, like, whatever you're thinking is absolutely stupid. And it's also just assuming you should think like me. Yeah. When... And maybe this is a bad example because I still actually think he should think like me. (laughs) But that was a hard one to, like, stomach. But what he's... I can tell you what he's thinking based upon what he's saying is whatever he's experiencing is more valuable and fun than whatever he perceives the risk to be. And every single person operates this way. So, I mean, let's think of a better example with kids when they're, you know, I don't know, they say something to some friend or they divulge some secret. And we're like, you're so dumb. Like, why would you do that? And it's funny that a lot of times we ask, phrase it as a question, like, why would you do that? Or what were you thinking? Because really, we're not asking a question. Now, what a therapist actually does is they actually ask the question and they wait to hear the answer. Yeah. Because whatever the answer is, is the clue to how you might actually help someone to see your perspective anyways. Mm. But if you don't know what it is that they're valuing and why they're making the decision, and that's something I never understood like growing up, is I thought there's two types of people in the world. There's smart people and there's stupid people. And it's really that simple. And I'm like a smart one and other people are stupid. But the problem with that is that, first of all, I think humans are more nuanced than that we all have we all make kind of like smart decisions and sometimes we all make decisions that we might regret um but not only that we have dumb moments and a lot of times like for me i used to do this i don't think i do it much anymore but i see it in my kids they do something and they're like oh that's so stupid i don't know why i did that i'm just being dumb 
And I want to say to them, no, like it's more complicated than that. Because two things, one, if you just beat yourself up over it, you're, you'll never be able to change. You cannot just will yourself out of whatever that belief system is that caused you to do something like that to begin with. Um, like, I don't think self-discipline is enough to change that type of belief, usually. Um, and the second thing is, I don't know, it's just people are judgmental assholes, even to themselves. And yeah. they're like, they judge their own value system because it doesn't match, you know, everyone else's. Hmm. So I love that she just said that people do things. They, every single time, they do it for a reason. Yeah. It might not be a good reason to you, but that doesn't make it just dumb or stupid. And they most often aren't even conscious of the reason, which makes it even more likely why they're stuck in it. She said it's tied to their safety. Yeah. yeah. Which is a very subconscious thing. Yeah. So here's the promise, in my opinion. If you want to drive people away and close down conversation, then judge their motives by making statements like that. And not only will it not change them because that type of shaming usually does not have the power to change people's belief system, in my experience, but it will guarantee that if they do go to help, they probably won't come to you. Yeah. Which is really sad. Mm -hmm. You know, that therapists are paid to be listeners and they don't have a dog in the fight, so they can listen. Mm-hmm. And I think it's harder as parents because it's a bad reflection on our character. Or at least that's how we take it mm-hmm. when our kids do stupid shit. We take it more personally. But maybe it's not a bad reflection on our character. I don't think it should be. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You know the routine. I think, you know, all the ways that we get in our own ways are there for a reason. It's not because, you know, people don't know better. It's because they're just acting out of self-preservation. Shorty. That was a, so that kind of goes with the safety, like safety and self-preservation are probably the top, top reasons why people do, why we do, what, why we do what we do. <laughs> and why, and that those are really, really powerful driving forces. No, I, I don't believe that anyone is exempt from this. I mean, this is a whole podcast episode yeah. we could dedicate to this very topic but if you think that your kids are stupid because they make decisions based on self-preservation and you don't yeah i'm like whoa yeah whatever bible study you've been going to has been teaching you the wrong shit because yeah open your eyes the wool's been putting over your eyes because and it's true like i can't i don't know all the ways that i act for my safety and my self-preservation, but I believe that there are hundreds and thousands of things I do for that reason. And I think, you know, it'd be interesting to ask you, what do you see that looks like self-preservation? And and that's not in even, you? yeah. That would well, be let's it. talk about one that we've talked about a ton already. Yeah. Which is with your Enneagram type, once again, a whole nother episode, but yeah. You have learned about yourself in the last couple of years that your personality type prioritizes having peace of mind. Yes. Peace, uh, yeah, peace of mind, peace in my body, whatever you want to call it. Higher than almost anything else. Yeah. That's a natural instinct. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm trying to think of how that would pan out given our conversation. But that that becomes a very primary motive for you i mean i think something that happens all the time in our relationship is i don't stand up for my opinion because i know it will or i don't know this but i feel like it might cause conflict and i don't want to deal with the conflict because the conflict disturbs my peace so if i was just to be like cammy you're being such a pussy or like stop being a baby or you know what are you just afraid or something like that that would be a gross misunderstanding of what drives you because really yeah and and i have my own ways but using this example you are prioritizing your safety 
basically. Which I don't even think is a bad thing. I was going to say that. Self-preservation and safety aren't bad things. I just think it's hard for me to see... It's hard for me to... to, (laughs) I can say that. (laughs) But there are people in my life that I'm just like, really? You're how old and you can't get past this like feeling scared and i'm not saying that that's a great outlook (laughs) to have but that's that's like a struggle i have of seeing especially like someone in their 70s and i'm just like what is going on with you (laughs) yeah well and i'm all for that question and Mm -hmm. i do the same thing i think we all do it but if we're gonna really ask it I think we need to be honest and ask it and say, yeah. do we really want to know what's going on in their life? Because a therapist yeah. would ask. All, and, yeah. And actually want to dig really deep. like. And when you hear the story, mm-hmm. my guess is their actions actually make sense, sense yeah. given yeah. where they've come from and what they believe and what they've seen. I think probably more my response should be, this sucks for me. Like this hurts to see this, this hurts me, but that's not necessarily what they're doing is like wrong. <laughs> it's just frustrating for me. And this is one of the things we learned in therapy, like 101. I mean, literally, it was like probably the first two sessions we went where our therapist told us to stay in our own yard or to stay on our side of the street. You know, is it's so yeah. easy to go into therapy and bitch about other people. But when you do that, I just feel like you get in trouble, one, because it doesn't actually help you. It doesn't change any of the thing that you can change, which is what you can change is very little, but it's actually very important because it's going to have the most impact on you. And two is when you start assuming you know why people are doing what they're doing and understand other people, there's just so much that's lacking there. It's usually going to be a relationship killer at that point. And I, I did. I'd spent years feeling like this, especially with some like family members of mine. And I'm getting to the point now where I can get more accept them for where they're at. It's still like difficult for me, but the more I'm accepting just what is, the more I'm able to not think that they're just like assholes. I think this is same, it's true with small children also. Yeah, you know, little kids. Like, I don't know, Rainier pooped in his pants today. And it's easy, the first instinct is easy to think like, I mean, just as a feeling, not as a legitimate logical feeling, but it's like, it's easy to feel, are you just trying to make my life miserable right now? Yeah. Like, did you do this on purpose? Yeah. Because it, because pooping in the toilet seems so obvious to me. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I actually, what really bothers me is him screaming, I gotta go poop, like literally 30 times a day. I gotta go poop. I gotta go poop. I'm like, can you just stop screaming and just sit on the damn potty? Like, what is your problem? But actually, when I start to really think about it, I'm like, oh, he's scared. He's scared to poop on the potty. He's never really done it before, and it's scary. And really, you could translate that to almost any other human uh, human fear. <laughs> like, it's just, it, it comes down to, like, I'm just scared of shit in the potty. I've never done it before. <laughs> I think it really does. <laughs> You're kind of seem like you're a jerk by saying all this. Instead, you're kind of keeping it to yourself, all your opinions of John, as he sort of unravels to, to you or unveils to you. So you, you deliver it by planting seeds. Um, if you plant them too early, right, um, they're, they're not, they're not going to sprout. If you plant them too late, you know, you miss the most fertile ground. So it's timing is really important. When is somebody ready to hear it? There's this old joke, you know, how many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? And one, if the light bulb is ready to change. So it's like, it's like the person has to be ready. And usually when they come to therapy, they're not quite ready to change. They're kind of thinking about it. Um, they're kind of like something's not right and that's how they end up there and then through the process of therapy you're getting them ready to see something and then you're getting them ready to change once they can see that thing and is it hard for you when you see someone who's like so close to a good decision and they're just not making it and they 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 then go the wrong way again and you just want to tell them no just do it this way. Like, is it hard for My you to... My telling them wouldn't help because they really have to come to that on their own. The most, the most lasting and profound 
um, truths that we come to are those we arrive at on our own, meaning I'll guide them there, but they have to come to see it themselves. If they keep making that mistake enough times and end up you know, in pain enough times, at a certain point, they're going to say, oh, right, because of the work that we're doing in therapy. But why, why would they ever say to you, why didn't you just tell me and I would have avoided this whole... <laughs> but we are telling them from day one. We're, from day one, we are planting those seeds. We're telling them in a way that they will be able to hear us. If I tell them something very early on, first of all, I don't know them well enough, so I need to yeah. make sure that I have enough context to know that what I'm thinking is actually what's happening with them. But if I, if I tell them something too early, um, they're going to get more defensive about it. They're going to feel criticized. They're going to feel judged. Or they're going to feel like, no, that's not me. You don't understand me at all. Um, and then the defense goes up. And then I have an extra wall to get over. So how do you know? How do you know? Is it just this intuitive thing you learn? Like, how do you know when to plant a seed and how far to push and how do you know when to shut the hell up? Who cares? Well, how about just being able to ask that question? Well, yeah, I, mean, I, I guess I'm jumping ahead. Like I think asking that question is key. Yeah. But I mean, that's like who asked that question? I guess if you're asking that question, you're probably going to find the answer and it's going to be different. Well, for... it's an answer. You'll find an answer. Yeah, and you might make a mistake or whatever. That's okay, though. Yeah. But I mean, like, for me, I love, love, love this section because I think there's so many points that she brings up that are so subtle. But I know for me, my kid will do something, and it'll basically piss me off. They'll wear um, muddy shoes through the house or whatever, and I'll lay into them for a or, solid— let's take a real example. Oh, crap. They'll— uh... crap. Fill a mason jar with water and green dye, and because they're trying to sprout a an avocado seed. Yes. And the green dye gets all over the counter, and you go ape shit. <laughs> and the white windowsill, and in between. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'll think. You know what? This kid needs to hear a lesson right now about overflowing water and green dye and the impact on white surfaces. <laughs> but you know what? I'm doing that at that point, and this is what's important for me to recognize. I'm doing it for me. Mm -hmm. I'm yeah. venting off steam. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Which to is recognize. fine. Mm -hmm. But if I think I'm doing it for the kid, and I'm like yelling at him and be like, "Don't ever put green dye. What are you thinking? Let me tell you how to do this." Or, you know, like, did you think about how this is going to impact? Like, they're not going to walk away. Like, all they hear, like, some little alarm goes off in their head, and they're like, like oh, oh, shit, shit. <laughs> cover, 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 I know, this, cover, this said kid run from the beast. looked at me like, oh, are you kidding me right now? Like, <laughs> So anything I say from that point on mm -hmm. is going to be, like, retained at 10% capacity. So, like, you know, when you go to boot camp and you're getting yelled at and guns are going off at you, like, this is why they test you under high stress because they want to know what do you do at 10%. So if my goal is to like have my kids remember 10% of what I'm saying, lay into them right there on the spot. Mm -hmm. But so that's the natural. I think most people and a lot of our parenting was very simply that mm -hmm. and actually just relating to people. Yeah. Let's even take peers. You know, I get pissed at someone and what do I do? I text them right there on the spot. I don't think, hey, how is Joe going to best respond or best learn or hear or does joe want to learn at all because mm -hmm. maybe they don't or maybe this is my need not their need which is still important but if it's my need i think if you actually know it's your need and not their need then you're gonna respond differently i would think yeah but really as a parent i want my kids to learn this stuff and i've had to learn even just that thought of hey we have a long time here and, we, and some some things if you want to see a plant, you don't plant it in December, and you're not, and then you're not like super bummed out when you don't see a pomegranate tree <laughs> because it didn't sprout. Because you're like, well, I, I wanted pomegranate, so I planted it right when I wanted it. <laughs> you have a longer term perspective on it. Mm. And with kids, I think we it's so much better to think about the end game, mm -hmm. like what do we want, and then let's retroactively create the steps that get there mm -hmm. instead of like what feels right right now. Mm -hmm. And because none of us were instructed on any of this shit, like a supernatural, just to like 
you know, a kid does something that we think is stupid, you lay into them right there and then because you know you're going to forget and it just feels good. And then we convince ourselves that we're actually doing it for the kid. That's mm-hmm. the worst crime because it, yeah. it's just a deception. Yeah. And, and it doesn't lead to us getting more product, productive in how we communicate. Now, the second you and I, I, let's say instead of bashing memory at that moment, we were trying to keep her a identity a secret. Um, what if I wrote that down? And I was like, <laughs> and I just like bit my tongue and I had a beer instead. <laughs> and then I talked to you during our weekly meeting and I was like, memory is leaving a mess around our house all the time. True story, actually. <laughs> and we said, how can we communicate to her that this is not helpful for us and that in the long run for her life, I don't think it'll be helpful for her. Whatever it is, I guarantee we're going to have a better result than whatever I did. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes that's not possible with emotions and humans and that's okay. Um, But another thing that she said that I thought was really, really, really wise is the things people actually learn and it sticks with them are the things they figure out on their own, which is a really tough pill to swallow as a parent to realize that we only ever plant seeds. And even then, a lot of times we're doing it at the wrong time. But our kids are actually going to learn things and I don't like the old adage you just got to learn the hard way I just think that's life probably for anyone like for anyone you have to learn in a way that it's going to stick so you have to figure out things for yourself and I think that's okay there's nothing wrong with that Um, but that's a hard thing as a parent to come to to really understand and realize. And there's so many times, and I know there's going to be so many times in our future, especially as our kids grow older, where we just have to, we just watch. All we're doing is watching, you know, and we stay in relationship with them, hopefully. Yeah. Well, I I remember when I read this book called the Thomas Jefferson education, it was the first thing that ever taught me that you literally cannot force someone to learn. Hmm. Like they, they decide in a way what goes in their brain and not and what they kind of decide to retain and not mm-hmm. i mean you can force shock people into things for short periods of time um but the bigger and better way to learn even just from a schooling perspective is to get people excited and want to learn something themselves and that's the only way that you're ever like really guaranteed that they will retain it so right you know, given our parenting examples, I think a lot of times I just think, oh, this kid needs to learn a lesson. I'm going to teach it to him right now as if I have that type of power. And when I bring that level of intensity, which comes along with fear and intimidation, fear and intimidation are terrible environments to learn in. And usually kids shut down. So they're not actually learning. They're trying to just be safe, like self-preserve at that point. Yes. Yeah. As we all are. Right. And the far more effective thing, and we covered this in another podcast, specifically like the carpenter and the gardener, is when you want to see plants grow, what we do have a certain degree of control over, I think, is the environments that we create. We can create environments that make learning um, seem like a cool thing Mm -hmm. or seem valuable or we can show our kids the benefits of that. And then they're going to watch it and they might sit back and be like, wow, I want to learn. Learning's cool. Um, or let's say, um, let's use the example of creating a mess around the house. If I share with my kids, you know what? You're safe here. Like, I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but it really frustrates me when there's this mess here. And, but it, but it's a safe environment to, they can do whatever they want really at the end of the day. I think the kid is more likely to learn that messes have negative consequences on their lives and the lives of people around them than any 
form of brute strength teaching method or lashing out reaction that I would have in the moment. Now, what they will learn in the moment, if I, if I lash out right away, I'm going to be teaching something, but it's not going to be that messes damage relationships. It's going to be something like, oh, watch out for dad. Or if dad walks in the room, clean up the mess really quick so I don't get caught. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we mistake that for learning like a deeper lesson because our kids are like, you know, and parents will literally say, they'll be like, well, if you're going to steal, don't, don't get caught or don't let me see you do it. But that's just teaching them not to get caught. That's not teaching them the deeper lesson of at least that I value. And the ironic thing is getting caught would actually maybe help with the lesson of don't steal. Maybe. I mean, I think it depends, but. Last clip. You know, it's the same thing when you have a kid and your kid comes home and says, like, this thing happened at, at school today at lunch. Um, your kid has some good answers and you want them to figure it out. So if they say, what should I do? Um, you know, you might say, well, what, you know, what are some ideas that you have? And your kid will have some ideas just like your patient will have some ideas. Well, I could say this. It might be something that you think, oh, that's a terrible idea, right? Um, and you say, well, okay, let's let's talk about all the ideas. And what do you think will happen if you do this? So you help them anticipate the consequences of their actions. Mm. So you don't just tell them the, uh, the consequences. You kind of have them tell you. But they know. See, people know so much more than I think you're giving them credit for. That people know a lot. It's just that sometimes they don't trust themselves at all because they learned growing up or whatever experiences they had in their lives um, taught them that they don't make good decisions. And that's because their barometer is off, their compass is off. But once people can really access their feelings, people try to pretend, you know, I'm not anxious or I'm not angry or I'm not sad. Those feelings are like a compass. You want to use them to guide you to what you want. And so if you're angry at someone, okay, that tells you that something's not working out here. What is it? And now you can examine it. Um, and so people... I really like that. I think as a 39-year-old, I'm still learning how to trust my intuition, my feelings, and to to see feelings aren't bad and to just like, okay, I'm angry at this person. Or first of all, you're like, have to understand you're angry right yeah because you're like i hate that person I yeah don't be around them but then you're like well what yeah so what is that oh i think i'm angry okay so i'm angry why am i angry and just it's almost like a puzzle piece you're putting together of your feelings and why you know you do what you do i guess why why are why do i tick the way i tick i mean Can I say this? I think this is more difficult for males in our society because males in our society are raised with this belief that it's not okay to have feelings. And if you have feelings, you're either gay or you're a girl or you're a woman or you're a pansy or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. I mean, I went through eight years of 12-step groups where every week I showed up to a meeting and I shared my feelings. And for the first three years, I didn't realize I had any. And then I realized I had them. I just didn't know how to identify them. And that's why I was doing all sorts of actions around because feelings, they can't go away. I mean, it's like, what's Newton's law, number one, where it's like every action is an equal and positive reaction, you know? Like, mm-hmm. energy doesn't disappear ever. Or maybe that's, what am I thinking, thermodynamics? Uh, you know, um, matter is neither created nor destroyed. Whatever, some sort of science thing. <laughs> this isn't a fucking science podcast. I don't know why I'm talking like a scientist. But it's built into the laws of the universe. Like, you can't make things disappear. And emotions are the same way. They don't disappear. They come out. And I think this is why a lot of times people are addicted to all sorts of things, whether it be video games, the internet, or drugs, is because we don't know how to cope with our feelings So in in ways that we're happy with. So we cope with them in the way that it's the most natural and the easiest, yeah. which is usually numbing. Sometimes it involves some sort of pain, whether it's self-inflicted or you're an adrenaline junkie or something like that. But if we can, um, one, say that feelings exist, two, everyone has them, and three, like bonus level, be able to identify them, 
I think it's a huge step in more constructive um, using this information or this data to like address issues and growth or health or relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just information. You can use it or you don't have yeah. to use it. But it's like, why would you have a dashboard on your car and then cover up the gas meter? Like, and then you would want to be, you'd be like shocked every time you ran out of gas. You know, yeah. our feelings are that way. They tell us like when we're at some sort of capacity or when someone is dangerous or when, mm-hmm. you know, we need to maybe take a break either emotionally or physically. Yeah. And I think as a woman, I've experienced, okay, I have these emotions, but they're this world I live in is not a safe place to express them. And I actually think, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not here to compete here, but I think women are just as much affected in a different way, just because I think we live in a more patriarchal society. So therefore you're going to have those coming down on women as well like even like women are supposed to act like men in a way and so the men have a certain role i'm better than you (laughs) you want to compete this is deep shit (laughs) um no i don't actually (laughs) you are smoking your cigar faster than me though which makes you more of a well man something makes me a whoa man um, I also like what she said about parent, you know, she wasn't talking about parenting, but she, oh, actually she was using it as an example mm-hmm. of asking your client or your child, like what they're feeling, assuming that they maybe know the answer, but are afraid to act on it. Hmm. Because as parents, I think it's so much easier to assume that I have the answer. I'm going to tell my kids what to do. Let's say they come to me and they're like, should I ask this person out? And I want to say like, yes or no. And actually before, like we don't even ask. I think oftentimes we're not asking, how are you feeling? We we jump right to, okay, action. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy for me as a parent to swing one of two directions. One is to go completely black where I'm like, I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. Here's what to do to the T. Um, or I go white and I'm like, figure it out on your own. I'm not going to tell you what to do. So it's either 100% active or 100% passive. Now what she's suggesting is not passive. Mm -hmm. You're not sitting on your ass being like, I don't care. Let them figure it out. But it's, it's actually very engaging and it's very proactive. It's facilitating them to be active. It's empowering. Empowering. Yes. And the Mm -hmm. other route of telling them what to do. I don't think there's a way around it to say that it's actually disempowering. And, this other way what i found is extremely valuable because parents ask this all the time like specifically with the sex ed stuff they're saying like i don't know what to do uh i don't know what to say i've never taught sex ed to kids before Mm -hmm. um it seems really scary and the answer that i always give that we've learned no one ever wants to hear because it's really scary is to share your story Mm mm-hmm to share your experience. People always want to be fucking experts. They want to be a human textbook and they want to be like, I have the answer. No yeah. one has the answer, but you have your story and no one can take that away from you. And I think we undersell the value of that. Mm-hmm. We feel like, oh, well, I should know all the technical names and the stats if I'm going to teach my kids about sex and like have this fucking... Or I should be able to do it with a straight face. If you can't do it with a straight face, so what? Yeah. Like that's actually part of your story. <laughs> yeah. And when you share it, it has an incredible value on children. I mean, going back to 12-step groups, when I sat in those rooms for eight years, all I did was hear other people's stories. And they say the purpose of a 12-step meeting is to share your strength, hope, and experience. And when you share your story, it has an amazing ability to give those things. Whereas when you tell someone prescriptive advice, no matter how true it is, I mean, it could be great advice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always going to be somewhat disempowering even if it's really good there's something i think about a human sharing their story with another human who also has a story that is empowering to be able to hear someone else's story because then you can relate you can relate to at least aspects of it i think just from being human kids are smart people are smart and kids are smart Mm -hmm. and when they say 
Uh, and I'm not talking about the types of stories. We're not talking about a fucking Aesop fable. Aesop fable. Personal stories. <laughs> yeah. Well, not something that just has a moral to it. Oh, yeah. You know? So, like, if if your kid's asking you, like, should I date? And you're like, well, I dated. And then uh, <laughs> I almost died. So do what you want. <laughs> you know, that's not an honest story. Yeah. It, has to, it has to be a good story, which means that it's true and it shares the pros and the cons. Well, I dated... And it was really fun. And it was also really hard. Yeah. And I wish I would have done this. But I'm really glad that I did this. Mm-hmm. And I think whatever you do, things will be okay. Mm-hmm. If you hear that as a kid, mm-hmm. that's badass. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's going to be like, wow, I feel connected to my parent. I'm more likely to be a, make a better decision because I have more information. And they probably even value themselves more mm-hmm. because you've shown their value to themselves. By even like trusting them. Yeah. So um, we've done therapy, a lot of it, and we've learned some of this stuff along the way. And I was really, really happy when I heard this podcast because I feel like so much of what we've come to find value in and see as effective. I mean, us going to therapy with a good therapist, I might add, has completely changed our parenting dynamic and strategy. Oh, absolutely. Night and day. It's, yeah. I mean, so to say, I mean, what have we paid? Five, ten grand over the, I don't know how many, around that. Mm-hmm. So worth it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a college degree uh, worth of wisdom that we've gotten in how to talk to our children in a way that I think is more effective. And how to relate to ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, 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 well. Guess what we have here? We have a phone call. Up until today, you guys were going to get the... I'm not even going to say it. You know what it is. But someone saved you guys' someone asses. totally did. You want to press the, mm-hmm. the T button there? Hi, Cammie and Ben. My name is Kelsey. I'm from Minnesota. This is my first time calling in, and I think the reason why I haven't called in before is because, uh, Ben, you you touched on it in the last uh, podcast, I think it was number 39, and it finally, like, struck me, like, it's so weird to watch you on, you know, this side of things and, and hear your opinion on things, but then, and kind of, like, know your whole life watching your YouTubes and stuff, and then to, like, reach out and ask you something and or just have a comment about something. It's such a strange dichotomous relationship, I think. Um, but I do have some questions, and like you said, I'm going to keep it to one question per phone call. So I guess I'll just leave this phone call as um, showing my appreciation for everything that you guys do uh, from your vlogs to your podcasts, I really enjoy it. Keep up the good work and the and the challenging, um, thought provoking, um, just everyday things that you guys do and share on your channel. Like it really helps me as a person to see others go through the same kind of struggles that I go through and how they handle it. And yeah, so thank you guys, and I look forward to reaching out more and leaving more questions and comments in the future. All right. Take care, guys. Oh, that was Kelsey, right? That was yeah. Funny. Thanks, Kelsey. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. That that's really cool. And Kelsey left another message, which you'll have to call or listen into the next episode to hear. Mm-hmm. She saved you again. Then I all think, you I all. think it's a good one. Um, yeah, that's cool. And it is weird. I mean, we our voice is heard by about a thousand people a week on this podcast. That's weird. That's Who would have thought? Weird, yeah. I mean, we're sitting in our basement talking to <laughs> glass screens and the technology just works that way. Yeah. I get it. But let me put it this way from my perspective. Let me share my story. It's a huge fucking risk doing what we do. I mean, we talk and share stuff that we think who in the world would ever value this stuff? And who are we to start a podcast? 
And who are we to share about these weird topics that it seems like no one else would be interested in? And why are we spending the first five minutes cutting and lighting cigars? Like, shouldn't we have our <laughs> shit together or something? We're showing we're human <laughs> and we want to just drink and smoke. And in a way, you know, what we've learned with a podcast is there's no right way or time. You know, like there's always an excuse to not do it and to do it better and this, that, or the other and to give ourselves to you guys. And that's really what we're doing. That's why we do it. And we do it for ourselves because we're learning a lot in the process, but we also do it. The reason why we publish it is for other people. Now, in a way, every time you leave a message, it's the exact same thing. There's no right time. There's no right way. There's no right person. Like, and I want you guys to do it for us, but I also want you to do it for you. Just fucking pick up the phone and call and say your piece, you know? And I, I have a feeling there's a lot of things, if I just know the world or people that there's a lot of things that keep people from doing things. They're like, oh, my opinion doesn't matter. Or who am I? Or like, it's weird. Or it's awkward. Or they're going to think, blah, 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 blah. It's all the same. We all deal with it. So anyways, thanks for calling that out, that that is weird. Thanks for calling. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to make a special request this time around. We're traveling for a lot of August, with, which means that we're going to be recording a lot of episodes because I'm pretty dedicated to not skipping. So we're going to be recording a lot soon which means we need a lot of phone calls soon. In the next three weeks? Yes, slash two weeks, slash now, because by the time you hear this, That's true. it's already going to be too late. So call them in. 206-651-5744. It's in the show notes. You'll also find Lori's book. You'll also find James Altucher's podcast that all the clips were taken from today if you want to hear. Also, there's links down there if you'd like to donate to our chair fund, Cammy and I are sitting on wooden, sorry-ass stools right now. Um, they're not comfortable, and we actually have a whole other podcast to record right after this. So that's our two. Um, so if you would like to donate to our chair fund, if you find that this podcast is valuable and you appreciate it and you would like to contribute to that, you can do so. There's two links below, PayPal and Venmo. Or you just feel sorry for us. Yeah. Or you just have too much money. Any of those things we're willing to help you with. Um, But no obligation. We're going to record it either way as long as we can. But we definitely appreciate that. This podcast is available on iTunes and like all those other places. Uh, What's the big one with the Spotify? Um, And we have a link to a Facebook group discussion below. Right. I hope this uh, topic was helpful for you guys. Uh, I love talking about it, and I hope you guys can maybe use some of those tools in your own life. Peace out. Thank you for listening to Fight for Together. We'll see you next time.